if you've been thinking about how you can level up your business, then this is the conversation for you. Didi shares what he calls moonshot thinking. You're going to love it. He also shares a strategy for winning in a crowded marketplace and a hack for achieving your business goals. My oh my, is this interview packed with value. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives, the show that's made for Christian entrepreneurs. We're going to talk about everything from faith to business principles to family life to profitability to strategy to tactics to self-care. If you need it, we'll talk about it. I'm your host, Priscilla Shumba. Without wasting any more time, let's dive into our conversation. Today, we have a very, very exciting guest. We have Didi Hoffman, and he is a business strategist, and he helps wellness entrepreneurs, listen to this, sit and achieve big, hairy, audacious visions. We've got the captain of Moonshots at Badass Entrepreneurs. So Didi, please introduce yourself to our audience. We're happy to have you here. Oh, Priscilla, it's awesome being here. I think the best way to introduce myself is just as a horticulturist turned businessman. Very much mm-hmm. hands in the dirt, soil underneath the fingernails type of person that likes to take a big picture and boil it down to pragmatic steps that we can take in our daily lives. Yeah, oh, absolutely love that. Now, I found this on your bio and I said, what is Didi talking about? You said, and then I'm going to quote you on this, burn the business plan. What are you talking Tell us a little bit more about that, Didi. Uh, Absolutely. Look, I think we all know that there's also a a, a quote from the Bible that says, you know, without vision, the people perish. So I think it's always very important to have a business plan. But business plans per se are totally, totally overrated. And I think entrepreneurs either get one of two categories of entrepreneurs, those without business plans that like to fly by the seat of their pants. And we all know that doesn't work because even if you fly by the seat of your pants, you have to lock a flight plan beforehand. You have to have a destination in place. The other part of the business plan community is the startup community that go and spend hours, hundreds of hours on a business plan and then they end up filing it in a drawer. So our approach is just burn the damn business plan. Get done with it and rather do it in small, intensive little sprints. And we can actually divide that up into, if you want to, nine different business planning steps. And each one of those you can do in, once you get the hang of it, you can do them in 30 minutes. So it's very easy. So rather burn the business plan, start with your vision, and then break it down into easy steps that you can do on a daily First of all, daily basis, you know, as entrepreneurs, we all tend to let the whirlwind overflow us every day. And then our goals or the weeks, the widely important goals, they just get lost in this whole whirlwind. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. That's very, very true. But now when you say break it down into sprints, what do you mean exactly? So that we really get an idea of how we should tackle this. What we normally suggest is that you start with your vision and make it a one-page document. So instead of this 100-page document, the traditional or the old-school business plan, we like to break it down into one-pages. So start with your vision. And your vision consists of basically three parts. The first part is you have to decide what your legacy that you want to leave behind, what that's going to be. And that can be a job. You know, most business owners, entrepreneurs are actually, they're self-employed. So they only have a job 
They don't have a business. So that's the first one. The next one after that is you can have a practice. And a practice basically means that you will have one or two people, can be part-time, working for you. And then, you know, you can go up the ladder. But you have to decide first up what your legacy is going to look like in the end, what you're going to leave behind. Once you've got that, you have to decide the job that you're hiring this business for. And there's basically two jobs. First one is for yourself. So you're hiring this business to do something for you. And you have to write that down and you have to be very clear about that. But this business is also going to do fulfill a job for your clients. So there's two parts to this, to your vision. And you have to be clear about those. So what I like to do is take a normal A4 sheet of paper, divide it in half, write my legacy on the top. On the left-hand side is what I want the business to do for myself. On the right-hand side is what I want this business to mean and do for my clients. And you will see there's a lot of correlations there. There's a lot of things that's going to be exactly the same. And that's super. But once you've done that, you've got one sheet of paper that is going to drive everything that's going to come afterwards. The next step, once we have that little sheet of paper, is to just go through a quick, a main idea. You know, just make sure that that is commercially viable. And again, there's basically five steps. So the first one is you need to define this problem that you're going to fix. You need to find out that there's a market. But all those, again, five questions, and we can boil them down to one sheet of paper. So now we have two sheets of paper. The third sheet of paper is taking that legacy of ours and deciding, is it going to realize in three years, five years, or seven years? I won't go beyond seven years. It just get too far out. I like to work on three years, maximum. 36 months. That feels achievable and that feels like you have control over that. And then we break that down into our core business concept. So we go into a little bit more detail. Again, just one page. We list our values. We list our key motivators. Why are we doing this? And it's both our positive and negative key motivators. So it's also, you know, money can be a motivator, but it can also be a negative motivator. You have to be very clear about why you're doing this because this why is going to keep you going. And then when we do this visioning phase, this first phase, the first three documents, we really go moonshot. We go big. We go, go very big on that. And, and the belief there is that, especially if it's a God-driven vision, I believe that if I supply the labor, God supply the how. So I need to think about the what, and I, and I need to make sure that it's God-driven for me. But then I pray. So that for God and say, I'm going to need this. I don't know how to make this happen. I, don't, I haven't got no idea. This is my dream. But I trust you for making this happen. So there the faith comes very much into it because the next step, the next three documents that we're going to create, those are the more practical documents. And the first one of that is exactly like that legacy brief, the long-term five, three-year plan. We boil that down to 12 weeks. So what needs to happen in the next four quarters, in the next 12 months to realize this legacy? Basically the same format. We look at our values, we look at our motivators, but now we get a little bit more practical and we put in measurables, exactly you know the goals that we want to hit in that year. And the next two documents work sort of hand in hand. The one is what I like to call the team brief. And, and the team is just looking at myself and the skills and the people that I'm going to need and situations to make this 12-month plan a reality. And then the last one is a 12-week plan, 90 days. Break it down into goals that I can actually start working on next week, today. Does that make sense? Six pages now. Absolutely does. And, you know, every time I think of a business plan, I'm like, oh, goodness. Just, just you know, the traditional business plan is just, it's enough to make a person not start anything, really, yeah. Yeah. the way it's been done before. 
So the way that you break it down, it's such a practical approach. That's amazing. That's really great. Now, I'm going to go take you back a little bit, Didi, because you had mm. a few terms that you used. Moonshot thinking. What do you mean by moonshot thinking? Look, moonshot thinking had its origin with President Kennedy in 1962 when they decided to put the first man on the moon. And the thinking behind moonshot thinking was they had no clue. They had no idea how to do it. They didn't have the technology. They just, there was no idea. Somebody told me the other day that the computers NASA had at that stage was something like 64K. I mean, computers didn't exist like we know them today. So it was absolutely a moonshot. And, and we adopt that same kind of thinking in our businesses. And the reason behind that is, is that if we really want to leave an impact on the world, especially in the, in the wellness industry, we need to start thinking big. But it's very difficult because we are always thinking about our own limitations and we forget that collaborating with others Trusting God that he will open the doors and that he will provide the people. We tend to dream too small. So with moonshot thinking, we take our original dreams, what we feel comfortable with, and then we just add a zero at the end. Mm. And that's a moonshot. So it's 10 times bigger, not 10% bigger. And here's the thing. Going for something that's 10 times bigger is 100 times more worth it. But it's not 100 times more difficult. Not at all you will find that it's actually just 10 times more difficult sometimes. So it's just a, a way of thinking about and reminding ourselves that, you know, thinking small is not serving myself, it's not serving the world, and it's definitely not serving God. So that's the thinking behind moonshot thinking. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, Didi, I know that you have a background in horticulture. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you get into that and how did that lead to badass entrepreneurs? I spent most of my life in the gardening industry. I owned the biggest potted herb grower in Southern Africa for many years. We sold the business about three years ago, but that's my roots. I sold my first plants when I was five years old. It's just part and parcel of who I am. Both my parents, my grandparents, all of us were farmers. So very much farm boy. And then early in the 2000s, because at that stage herbs, especially the medicinal side of it, was not very well known in, in South Africa. We started the Herb Academy, which is an online herbology school and training those people. And it was a natural evolution. You know, first we tooled them with the Western medicinal skills. In Southern Africa, our indigenous traditional healers, their healing is a calling. They don't decide or their moms don't tell them you must pursue this career. For them, it's a calling. It's a spiritual calling first and foremost, even the Inyangas, the herbalists. And a lot of them want to, if I can use the term retool, they want to be able to speak with their clients because everybody is online these days. They want to be able to speak with their clients in Western terms as well. And that's where the Herb Academy came from. But the next logical step was to assist them with business skills, which I had. I've been in business my whole life. I've never worked for anybody else except for myself. So it was a natural progression. And then late last year, I was helping one of the students with setting up a strategy for a business, a business plan. And afterwards, she wrote me an email and told me, thank you, Didi, you're a badass. And I was very upset because at my age, badass is not a good term. You know, I associated with being a jackass. So I was really upset and I thought, yeah, you know, I spent all this time with the student and, you know, this is the thanks that I get. But before I answered, I thought, look, my children are millennials. Let me ask them, what does a badass mean? 
So I asked them, if somebody tells me I'm a badass, is it a compliment or an insult? And they both said, is that, that's a huge compliment. And that's where the thought of a badasspreneur was born. Because, you know, especially in the wellness industry, we're fighting huge battles. And being a successful business person in the wellness industry really is a badass. Yeah, and that's badasspreneurs. Great story. It makes sense to me now. It's a funny story too. Like you said, the health and wellness space. It feels mm. like it's such a crowded it is. space to to even get heard or even get seen. Now, how does one, especially as an early entrepreneur, how do you stand out in such a crowded market space? The best way to do it, and it's and it's counterintuitive, but the best way to do it is to micro-niche. And with micro-niche, I mean micro, micro, micro-niche. So let me use an example. Say I'm a wellness coach and I love working and you can start with your demographics. Okay, let's say I love working with women and I want work with of women that want to lose weight. Now with micro-niching, what we mean with that is you have to, and especially in that space, it's so crowded. If you don't micro-niche there, you won't get anywhere. But when we micro-niche, we will look at a very specific demographic with a very specific problem. So for instance, you can start working with women or millennials, if you want to use that term rather. I work with millennials that want to lose weight because they want to get pregnant. As an example. So you have to be very, very, very specific. To give you another example, we have a student in California. She focused on Lyme disease because she had it herself. And she focused on Lyme disease. A tiny, tiny, tiny market. But she's doing exceptionally well because she is known for the coach that helps people with Lyme disease. And that's the only way, Priscilla, that you can stand out in the wellness space is you have to be very, 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 very micro-niche. I call it the beachhead market. So it's like a bowling alley. You have to select that first pin, the one that stands right up front, and you have to aim for that. And once you hit that with a very much a micro-niche, you will see that you knock over the other pins. Of course, other people that want to lose weight will come to you and say, listen, I know you're very successful with that. I know you may not work with my problem, but please, can you help me? And then it just snowballs from there. But you have to micro-niche. Makes sense. I think that strategy sounds like an industry that is really very, very tough. Didi, I know you said you have a hack to achieve the most important business goals that one has. The hack is we all have what I like to call the whirlwind. And the whirlwind is just the list of daily activities. You know, when you get, even if you're a sole proprietor, when you get into your business, you've got all these little things that you have to do, all the fires that you have to extinguish. And that's the whirlwind. And it really, it's like a whirlwind. It sweeps you up. And at the end of the day, it puts you down somewhere and you don't know how you got there. It's just and you're gone. So the hack is that within that whirlwind, you have to create a week. And a week stands for a wildly important goal. And a wildly important goal, you can't have more than three. No ways, you can't. But preferably, you only need to have one. So what we do is when we help somebody with setting up their business or improving their business, we look at what they need to do the most. And basically, there will always be just three things. You either need to create more revenue or you need to create more profit or you need to create growth. So we can look at that and decide, you know, which one of those three it are. But then we focus exclusively on that. I don't know. I think it was Robert Kiyosaki or somebody that said that focus stands for an acronym of focus one course until successful. And that's your week. And, and that week can actually withstand the whirlwind. But the moment you have all these goals that you want to achieve, you know, I have to be on Facebook, I have to do this and I have to do that and I'm going to go this avenue and I'm going to, you know, do this course before I do that. You know, that's the whirlwind. You're not going to survive. So decide on a week, one wildly important goal 
and then you will see results will just snowball from there. That's a great concept. It is true. For early entrepreneurs, a lot of times you're just overwhelmed with the amount of things to do and the amount of things that people say you need to do to compete in the kind of business world that we're in. Like you said, even things like content creation, it can be a job in itself and you've lost your focus already in spending all your time doing content. Wow, the wig, that's one to remember. Yeah, and there's actually a little bit of irony there because normally a wig blows off in a whirlwind. Mm, That's a great irony. Ah, You know, I love reading your bio because it had so many little interesting things. I said, I've got to talk to Didi because people need to hear what Didi has to say. And I'm glad we're talking because it's a lot of good stuff for our audience. I think where a lot of entrepreneurs get lost, especially in the beginning, is that they try to follow strategies of people that are way ahead of them. You see these adverts of, I just made a million doing a launch on Facebook. And then you think, oh, you know, this is, this, is, this is the one for me. But what you forget is that entrepreneur's business is three or four stages ahead of yours. And because of that, it's never, ever going to work for you. So you have to start with very simple systems. And once you've got those systems in place, then you progress. What are the best systems to implement in your business as a startup, as an early entrepreneur? Okay. You have three systems that any business must have in place. And the first is the profit drivers. What we like to do is to classify systems, not solely in terms of marketing, sales, you know, management, admin. We rather classify them in terms of the activities that we do on a daily basis. Like I said, I'm a dirt under the fingernails guy. I want something that's practical. And therefore, it's easier for me to think in terms of just three things, because those are the three main things that I have to do in my business. The first of all is I need to increase profits. So I need to work on things that drive my profits. The next that I need to work on, because if I don't work on that, I don't have a business and that is revenue. And that's actually the definition of going from a startup to being a sole proprietor is you need to have a little bit of consistent sales. So if you don't have sales, you don't have a business, you're still a startup. And then once we have those two systems in place, our profit systems and our revenue systems, the other activities and and people that we must have in place is support systems. So if you just think about that, then everything actually falls into place and it becomes a lot easier. So it's profit systems and with profit systems, we will include all our strategy. So the business planning, that's a profit system. Marketing, we classify as a profit system because it's got a long-term effect. It determines your voice, it determines your brand, it determines your positioning. The next profit system that we work on is what we call the influence. Now, influence is the things like writing a blog post, deciding if you're going to go podcasting or you're going to go on YouTube. It's also building partnership. We're very heavy on partnerships. I think that's one of the essential things we need in business is we need to become a little bit more people orientated than we are. Uh, we do much on social media. We need to get more on the phone and direct contact with people. On the revenue systems, And that's where normally everybody starts because they start with sales. So that's the lead conversion system. But lead conversion is actually in the middle of two other systems. The first system that you need to work on is your client fulfillment system. In other words, your delivery system. Any business, especially in a wellness space, we are there to create results. So the first system that you need to create is a system that can create predictable results for your client. Very important. And it's all about transformation. If you can't help your clients with transformation, you don't have a business. 
And that's the last system in the line. But normally people, they've taken a coaching course and they think they're going to wiggle this when or wangle this when they get there, but normally they don't. The system before that, that's a sales system. It's a lead conversion system. And then the first system is lead generation. It's awareness. So those are the three important systems. But you have to work with them from behind, you know, going with yeah. the last one first. Right now, it's like everywhere you look, there's a lot of people getting into coaching. That's the key to successful people who are getting into coaching. Look, you need to be able to produce results consistently for your clients. If you can't do that, really, again, the most successful coaches, wellness coaches, are actually people who've been through that transformation themselves. You have to walk the talk. It's like what we do with helping coaches with business planning. We've been through that process a thousand times. We know exactly where the pitfalls are, and we know how to produce results on an individual basis. And the same boils down if you go back. You can't help people to lose weight when you're overweight yourself. That's not transformation. You have to be able to walk the talk. You can't be a fitness coach if you're unfit. You can't be an accountability coach or a performance coach if you don't perform yourself. So that results, Priscilla, is critical. You have to be able to produce it consistently. And thanks for that. I think that's really going to help a lot of our early entrepreneurs because a lot of people are getting into this space. And I think that's one crucial, crucial thing that they really need to think about. You said there's a blueprint for a world-class company of one. And I thought to myself, okay, I love it. Tell us just a little bit about that, Didi. We've covered a lot of what goes into that, but there is such a big market for people to just be themselves. And that blueprint for being a company of one is somebody that puts themselves out there, helping other people, leaving an impact on, on the world, and then using basically those three business systems, your profit drivers, your revenue drivers, and your support systems. But in that world-class company of one, that support systems are actually where everything happens because we all read, and there's many books and many podcasts and even books about solopreneurs. Now, I don't believe in a thing like a solopreneur. You can't be an entrepreneur and be on your own. That's not what we do. Entrepreneurs are people that are putting themselves out there to help other people, and they accept help from other people as well. One of the first questions I ask somebody that comes to us for mentoring or coaching, and they want to be a coach themselves, is how many times have you taken your own medicine? How many times have you asked to be coached? by somebody else. You can't be a coach if you've never been coached yourself before. So you have to, again, walk the talk. And being a world-class company of one is actually a lot easier today than it was before. There are sites on the internet where you can actually micro-mentor is one, where you will find people that pro bono will mentor you uh, without it costing you a cent. There are sites like clarity.fm. There are so many people out there that can help you. But then again, world-class company of one, I believe you need to have a God given and a God-driven vision because that's our mission on earth. If we don't do that, I don't think we can be a world-class company of one. Very true. You know, the Bible talked a lot about farmers in terms mm. of mm. principles to getting things done. Person who's, like you said, the dirt under the fingernails and the Bible speaks directly to the farmer. It's played a huge part in that. My grandparents were very much God-loving people. Same with my parents, but I spent as a child a lot more time with my grandparents. My grandmother had a florist and in those days, florists couldn't buy what they sold in their shops. There wasn't suppliers. So she she had to grow everything herself. 
it was my love affair. But she used the time to tell me the parables and, you know, relate them back to what we were doing. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is the allergy of the vineyard in John 15, because it describes everything that we do, you know, to produce good plants, we have to prune them and we have to look after them. If you just bring those qualities back into your business and in your own life, but you can get direct correlations, especially what Jesus preached about a lot and examples that he used, but also in the Old Testament. I often think that people that haven't grown up on a farm, perhaps they are at a little bit of a disadvantage to people that have grown up on a farm and actually been part of the process. Uh, that just sounds really just great on so many levels. What is the number one book that you would advise for an early entrepreneur? Look, I think the, probably the best book and book that actually got myself with my previous business into systems is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It's not a practical business book, but because of his philosophy of the entrepreneur, the manager and the technician and call to work on your business, not in your business, I think it's must read. When we work with people for a long time on coaching of mentoring, I actually insist that they read the book before I will take them on. You need to make that mindset. Again, Priscilla, it's it's one of the things that we need work more on is our mindset because our mindset, if that's not right, what uses all the actions you take in your business. That's the book to read. Thank you for that. Now, Didi, since you talked about mindset, what does your routine look like? Like, what are your number one habits that you feel like you've brought into the way you do things that you'd attribute to a lot of your success thus far? Oh, so a lot of them that I want to change still, but... My day starts very early. I'm a morning person. I like to be as quiet as possible in the morning. So it, it starts with prayer time, just quiet time. Uh, I like to do some reading then as well. And then I have to force myself for the next part. And that's just doing a little bit of physical activity. Fortunately, I'm in a rural setting and in a farm set, you know, just walking around, which I'm very lazy with, but that's part of my routine. And then it's preparing breakfast for my wife. That's to me is the givens. And then it's the business routine at the beginning of the week. And it's normally on a Sunday. I will just sit down, invite my three business partners, which is God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and just sit down and plan the week decide what my week is going to look like. So I'm very structured. I'm very left brain as far as that is concerned. And I think that has preserved me and held me through a lot of things is the fact that I'm I think I can be quite right-brained, I can be quite creative, but I'm totally left-brained. I need to be organized, I need to be in control. Basically, that's my routine. Thank you for sharing your routine with us. This has been a fantastic interview. My last question, which I always ask is, what has faith meant to you on this journey so far, Didi? Oh, I think you've heard me so far. You know, it's everything, mm. um, especially at my age. I'm very fortunate. In January this year, I joined the 60-60 club. When you get at the end of a phase in your life, and I know I've still got many years with God's permission. I've still got many years, but uh, faith becomes everything because it's what grounds you. And it also means that you are more open and more willing to receive all His miracles and all His grace. Because I think a lot of times, because we're not open and receptive to that, we don't see it, but it's all around us. So yeah, Priscilla, for me, is the foundation. It's the foundation of my business, foundation of my marriage. Uh, it's the foundation of everything. Thank you. We totally got a sense of that throughout this interview that you really shared with us a lot of personal principles and a lot of faith principles. So we're really grateful for that, Didi. Now to our audience, please go to badasspreneurs.com. There's a toolkit there. The toolkit is just a couple of, of worksheets that you can use to do your own personal and business moonshot planning. So I've included some of the best moonshot thinkers in the world. Uh, there's some videos in the toolkit. There's some 
blog posts that you can read. And there's two worksheets then that you can use either to just for, for personal purposes, if you you know want to lose weight or improve a relationship or whatever, you can do a moonshot with that. And there's also a one-page business moonshot worksheet that you can use just to get you started and get you into this moonshot thinking. Yeah, well, we're all excited about moonshot thinking. Guys, get on to this. Thank you again, Didi. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I think we have to get you on again and do some more talking. It's been a privilege and, and have a nice day. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do leave a review and let us know what kind of guests you'd like us to bring on and what exactly it is that you'd like to know. Also, connect with us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives. Visit our website, www.reinventingperspectives.com, where you can grab a free preview of our latest book, The Christian Entrepreneur's Toolkit. Thank you so much for listening in. We absolutely value your time and we value your input. Have a great day.